We're gonna be alright. I wanna see you fly. Come on, let's go. Let's go with grace. Welcome to the Soul Force Podcast, Go With Grace, responding to white Christian supremacy with resistance and resilience. I'm Grace Nichols, the kinship minister for Soul Force and the host of this podcast, where we ask the question, what is white Christian supremacy and how does it show up in our daily lives? This week, I had the honor of speaking with an educator and feminist theologian from Costa Rica, Karina Vargas. She holds a master's degree in global leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary and a master's degree in the studies of social and family violence from Universidad Estatal a Distancia, located in San Jose, Costa Rica. She is also a professor of liberation theologies at the Center of World Education and Experience at the University of Augsburg in Minnesota. Karina is currently working with Soul Force to create content for addressing and healing spiritual violence. She was also featured on Soul Force's other media project, Teología Sin Virgüenza, which loosely translates to Shameless Theology, where theologians and activists from around the world discuss queer feminist theology in Spanish. These conversations happen on Facebook Live, and I'll be sure to include a link in the show notes. In our conversation, we talked about what spiritual violence is and what becomes possible when we are provided the tools and support to confront religious harm. Karina speaks beautifully about how naming things, providing language for things, brings them into existence and that each of us have the power to be both critical and creative when it comes to developing theologies for liberation. I'm so excited to share this eye-opening and inspiring conversation with you. I want to start with um, some basic information. So if we could simply start with who you are and a little bit about your background. Okay, so my name is Karina Vargas. I am Costa Rican and I still live here in Costa Rica. I come from a very religious family, and I grew up in a very, I would say now, extreme experience of evangelical fundamentalism. Uh, Professionally, I became uh, an educator, a professor. I was interested in theology, uh, not because I wanted to become a theologian, but because I wanted to understand what happened to me. You know, when you grew up in a very extreme experience of religion as a child and as a teenager, and then you become an adult and you start seeing the impacts of that, you want to understand what happened. I grew up in such a close uh, community. And when I say close, I mean, we were literally we had rules of not relating with other churches, Mm. not talking with other people, because it seems 
the things that were taught there were so pure and unique that you will be polluted with other ways of thinking, even though it comes from other churches. So for me, going to study into another institution, that was one first step of rebellion, let's say. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, even though people from other churches came to this school of theology, it was a conservative, also fundamentalist school of theology. Mm-hmm. And so in this place, of course, many of the teachings that are very damaging were reinforced. But at the same time, at the same time, there were some professors that I think they had their own uh, differences with the school and they were trying to teach different things in in class and the next semester they were spelled (laughs) (laughs) because yeah it was like very very controlled at the same time but i remember a professor from the netherlands he (laughs) he gave us a a a reflection on the book of romans written by a latin american theologian and this, this woman was a liberation theologian. Okay. So that was very forbidden in that place. But I remember he didn't tell us anything. He just like, oh, uh, let's read several things on the book of Romans and you tell me your impression. <laughs> and I remember the next day when we came, we didn't know who she was, but our favorite reading was hers. Why? Mm-hmm. Because she was really connecting real life issues from a social, political, cultural point of view. And when he noticed all of us, we love that uh, uh, reading, he said, okay, this is Latin American theology. This is liberation theology. And we were like, because we are taught here in Latin America by conservative groups that this is the communist theology and all the stuff. Uh, and he said, I think it is important if you're Latin America that you know your own theology and your own theologian. And I think he was, of course, the first person that connects me with this kind of experience. So I would say that was my experience, listening to new things finding people that invited me to question, I started to allow myself to know other people because, of course, after that experience, I quit that church because I understood a lot of things. And that gave me new questions that let me see new things that I wasn't uh, considering. And I think up to today, as, as much as I enter in critical theologies and I explore more liberation theologies, uh, I can understand first, you never stop learning. You understand how theology has been used in history to try to move political thinking, to try to move ideologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you become a critical of that. And then you start also understanding that you can create theology that you mm-hmm. can work with groups, your own understanding of many things. And from that experience, also claim your own, uh, 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 your own freedom, your own necessity for justice, uh, your own understanding of what this religious or spiritual practice 
represent for your soul, for your uh, own feelings as a community. Uh, so I think it's something that never ends. Uh, but it's also like starting swimming at the edge of the ocean and then you go deeper, deeper, deeper until you are in the open ocean. And it's scary sometimes, but you'll see wonderful things uh, at the bottom of the ocean <laughs> that you will never see unless you go deeper and deeper and you confront your fears of going more, yeah. more inside, but also needing less equipment, like breathing by yourself, wow. like uh, finding your own pace in the water uh, and then finding beautiful creatures. They are swimming with you. Oh, so amazing. So amazing. That's right. That's really beautiful. And I don't think I've ever heard it put quite like that before around creating your own theology. I think it's a common conception that to do something like that, you have to go to theology school, you have to study, which I'm sure is a part of it, but yes, yes. it feels like at the root is kind of really just developing your own beliefs and your own understandings. Um, and, and maybe yeah. that, that, that that's something we need to explore, like what is the word theology and, and theological knowledge? Sure, to I start, love that. To, to start, I mean, whenever we talk about the phenomenon of spirituality, religion, a relationship with a divine creator or how people want to call it, that means that doesn't matter if you are a doctor in theology or if you are a woman cooking here in San Jose, Costa Rica. In the moment you start asking questions, that's theological knowledge. I mean, that it's mm. a, 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 an explanation of a religious experience that, yes, you can, as a professional, as a person in the academy, systematize, try to understand, label with technical names. But at the end, is try to provide an explanation on how I do understand this existence in the connection with someone wider. I think most people who are connected in some level with this have thoughts and have questions and have uh, convictions. This is not a theologian in the sense, not in an academic way. It's like, it's a person telling you what made them survive among a very difficult time of aggression. And would you, would you connect that to liberation theology or how would you break down liberation theology specifically? How would you define liberation theology? Well, I think the first sign is that it's a theology that comes from inside uh, um, a religious model, a religious uh, institution criticizing what is unfair, what is not correct inside that practice. What is oppressive. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about the liberation theology. Why? Because it's a liberation inside the same movements. Mm -hmm. It's a liberation that also, as I was explaining minutes ago, it questions those boundaries. And I think that was something that is very threatening because uh, first, because it really uh, encourages people and, and the idea of self-agency. I mean, people start thinking and they start uh, 
realizing together they can do a lot of stuff if they organize themselves as a community. But also it's threatening because it's at the end naming. Yeah, I know you have believed this for a thousand years and it is wrong. Mm. And I think that's what what a liberation theologian does. I think Jesus, uh, Jesus, this, this person in this writing it's a very good example of what is a liberation theologian because he yeah. is questioning right. all these old religion, all these old uh, speeches, writings, uh, repetitions. And, and he's asking, is this really helping us? Or yeah. is this just a creation? I mean, that at the end you uh, take advantage of this to... to to serve to impose, uh, power or government. Yes, right. to make these, these alliances that yeah. at the end promote patriarchy, promote racism, uh, promotes exclusion, promotes some becoming rich and others just being forgotten. So I think we are in a very nice moment and it's a good moment to make of theology a place of liberation. And uh-huh. that means if you have something to say, about what you perceive as the intention of this divine inspiration, and it's telling you that it's about freedom. So yeah. go ahead. That's your theology. Oh, that's wonderful. I think it makes me think of, I've seen a phrase that says, uh, the future is indigenous. And that reminds me of what you were saying about decolonizing So could you talk a little bit more about decolonization? Of course. The main part that has to do with the religion is this idea of what we call the Christian supremacy, Mm because then the religion of the conquerors becomes that religion of the region. And so being Christian in the way they understand is, it's what will help you in life, and also submitting to all the forms of abuse that they impose. And a culture of submission is created. It's Mm -hmm. in order to survive. And I'm not saying something that wasn't technically correct. I mean, that's how they survived. If you submit, if you submit, you survive. And that's how we develop this culture where submission is so strong. Well, we have seen how churches preach too much about obedience Uh (laughs) and about uh, being a good person by following the the rules of God. But then the rules of God are the rules of the conquerors. And then we see people walking on these scripts that for all those that do not fit there or do not want to fit there, then this transforms into persecution, that this transforms into you are a problem for our society, but you are a problem for God too, because that God doesn't like people like you. And then we have all these uh, attacks, constant attacks from the culture, from the society, from the institutions, from your family, that we call um, spiritual violence and in very complex combinations, we call it 
spiritual terrorism because that's how the lives of, um, of some people feel like every day. And if you see it, all these, these many of these racist ideas, all these ideas of politics and, and from economy and all this at the back, when you check what are the beliefs holding all that, these are religious beliefs. The same beliefs that allowed people from Spain just show up here and say, God says, you belong to us. And so whenever we talk about decolonize, that means number one, become aware we were colonized and we are still living in colonies and we are still being commanded by the owners of those colonies. So becoming aware and second, are you ready to set yourself free and to set your groups I mean, together, are we ready to break those bones and start calling to a restitution of what was stolen, but also a restitution of our dignities and our agencies as complete humans right. uh, that we have the right to live our lives the way we consider it right. And I would say yeah. that that's probably the sort of the the prompt and the goal behind developing one's own theology, one's own thinking, is to have a deeper look. Over time, the colonization is is just an acceptance of these rules as fact. But the decolonizing part is questioning the rules. Exactly. And it's very complex to work with people when they have been trained their whole lives to do not question the religious knowledge, especially if it comes from a leader. Even though I have spoken with people that they question in their minds and they do not agree. Mm. And when you ask them, why don't you say something? No, no, I don't want to create problems. And you need to respect the leaders. And it's like, what is this respect? It's, it's, it's submission. And so respect is translated into submission. And this idea of not creating conflict, like you look nice when you do not create conflict. You look more like a godly person. Mm. And I think that was very successful in order to submit people. I want to move us into the work you're doing with Soul Force because it's very, very exciting. Can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on? Okay, well, first I want to say that I'm very happy of becoming part of um, Soul Force because it's like a, no, it is a dream job for me. It's a dream land that I- We're so lucky uh, to have you. (laughs) And and when I say land, I say it as finding a place also where I can can make home in the sense Mm. of finding finding others that I, I would like to share my experience of life with but also to share projects and ideas. So uh, Solfers gave me the honor of um, working some initiatives in what we call global education, which means how do we explore different topics that can be uh, um, developed in different institutions or groups uh, 
that might help us to decolonize and fight against uh, Christian supremacy. I think the main idea we had is how to create a space of encounter for professional of different disciplines that are interested in um, the different dynamics of spiritual violence, but also in the possibilities of healing, but also social change, which means how do we overcome this and we stop the religious violence everywhere. Um, and I say as a place to get together because sometimes professionals in different disciplines uh, that have very worthy tools um, uh, that we can use for this, have been a little bit disconnected with religious topics. It's something no one wants to dance with, like it's too mm. complex and I don't want to offend no one. And at the same time, I feel kind of reaction because I don't like religion. And, but also I'm a believer and uh, I'm confused on how to approach this. So how can we sit together and become critical about what is damaging mm -hmm. and become creative on what it's really bringing life? And I think that, uh, well, a very uh, historical uh, voice we have had for many years of the children that have been abusing the Catholic Church and mm -hmm. that for some reason the denounces continue, continue and it's impossible to get justice and also to stop what is going mm -hmm. on there. And, and so I think all these topics should be or will be for us topics of research, not only in terms of producing scientific knowledge, but also scientific knowledge that can be used to create justice to create consciousness, and to create healing for those survivors of this kind of, um, of violences. And I think it's, it's a historical moment mm -hmm. that is telling us more and more people will come front and say, hey, 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 what happened to me, what is happening to me is violent. And I think we need to be ready with resources and, and professionals that can provide a safe place for all these uh, survivors and also that can encourage them to become part of a huge force to end a spiritual and religious violence everywhere. I know that, amazingly, you were the first person to speak at a federal court in Costa Rica uh, is that right? Uh, I went there as an expert from theology and religion in order to explain the dynamics that are implicit or that involves religious or spiritual violence. Wow. From and a they, from a from a theoretical point of view. Okay. And the the judge said that they'd never heard anything like this before. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. In order to say I was the first one, I don't know. In my case, I was trying to mention this concept in this court for first time for a formal trial. Okay. Uh, and the reason I came there is because I have this research on how women in religion confront gender violence 
but this gender violence has particular elements that come from religion. That's where we can start tracing religious or spiritual violence because the elements are very particular. Hmm. So during this case, uh, yes, I was invited to talk about these violence that have these particular elements of religion or spirituality. And one thing that might be interesting, uh, I mean, in the story is that before we started, the judge approached me and told me, listen up, your participation here is not something common because we don't have professionals of religion talking in courts. And we as judges, we are not clear what to do with you. Wow. Those were the words he used. Okay. And he was saying it in the sense that we don't have experience working with this. Mm. And you are here because a judge, another judge ruled that we should hear you. But so we're going to go slowly and you can respond only when I tell you, you can respond. And the whole interrogatory <laughs> was very tense. Like, yeah. like sometimes they were questioning if what I was talking was scientific knowledge mm. or not. They were questioning if being a theologian, even though I have a master's degree in that area, is mm. scientific or not. Uh, and and I, what I noticed is that people are very scared of talking of religion and spirituality in many fields. So I was very honored that I had the chance to talk what I have seen and the knowledge that I have yeah. gathered in these years. And yeah, again, I don't know if I was the first one, but I was clear that in that place, what was happening was a very first time for them. And that more cases are coming. There are more cases uh, that will come to the trials uh, that involve important religious uh, figures of this country. I know one day we will see religious or spiritual violence as a formal category that will receive the treatment um, of the specifications it needs in order, to, in order to understand how this violence is performed, but also how to stop it. Um, um, why, why do you think that um, we're sort of just developing the language around these these occurrences right now oh because language is powerful language creates reality uh, when you don't name it it doesn't exist and oof. this is why when we name when we create words we are giving that an existence mm -hmm. and i think this is why there's so much um, rejection from patriarchal groups towards inclusive language because then you start naming uh -huh. because then now we exist right and it's a problem because we have worked linguistically for all this to not exist 
Yes. So whenever you break the rules and you start naming, even though the Academy of Pure Language of I don't know which country says this is not grammatically valid, okay, how's that? But we will name it. Yeah. So then, one of the things that we were discussing when we were preparing materials about this is, is not popular or seen as positive to talk negative things about religion. Uh-huh. It, it's a cultural uh, mandate. Uh, and a taboo. Uh, yes, of course. Wow. So if you cannot judge the actions of God, you cannot judge the actions of those that have been sent by God to do wow. whatever they say they do. So in the moment we name We create a word to name something that already exists. Right. It's not inventing. It's this exists. I can explain it. I can uh, list the characteristics, but it doesn't have a name. Let's give it a name. It's called religious violence. It's called spiritual violence. And why is it spiritual or religious? Because it specifically uses religious uh, elements or parts of the religious world in order to make this violence possible. Uh-huh. Without those elements, that violence is not possible. Because there is a mandate that I cannot judge this leader is that I cannot denounce him is that I, in my mind, it's not possible. Even though I see this guy doing this to me, I cannot accept it's real, this is happening. Wow. And that's when we have the trauma. That's when we have all these crazy uh, uh, collisions in your mind, like how is that this person that I looked for because I wanted advice, I wanted spiritual guidance, is doing this to me, and at the same time is telling me this is the plan of God. It's, it's complex. Yes. It's very urgent to have words that will bring to the light things that have been happening for thousands of years, but have been covered by all this religious sugar that doesn't allow us to see how ugly this taste is and how that ugly this is. It feels like a, a giant undertaking. And yet I can see why it's so exciting. It feels like there are mountains and mountains of possibility uh, in oh, yes. healing. Um, it feels like when when giving names to these uh, specific types of violence, that type of confrontation is forcing uh, uh, people to admit the violence, uh, to sort of reckon with it. In silence, there's no opportunity to do that. And it's so strong that sometimes we need to explain to people why it was violent because we have been trained to treat violence as familiar, as the normal, normal. thing. Right. Yeah, that's, that's how we grew up. But I hope this becomes a normal conversation. This becomes yes. a topic that is talking many places and I see many, many like underground groups of people making their own support groups mm-hmm. to for first time 
And I'm happy that they are finding the courage to get together and find a safe place to, to question this and not feel that uh, fire will come from heaven <laughs> because they are questioning this on the opposite. Again, if there is a divinity that cares for justice and dignity, I think we'll be deeply smiling of finding people are able to do this. Mm-hmm. Yes, that there's a growing, loving community that wants to hear your story and uh, wants to support you in your healing and bring about justice for the harms that have happened to people, to communities, to countries. And so thank you so much um, for making this offering to us during this lifetime. Thank you very much. And again, I'm very grateful. I'm always open to this kind of uh, opportunity. Oh, this was beautiful. Uh, yeah, I feel, I feel a sense of healing just having the conversation. Oh, nice. Yes, so thank <laughs> you. Thank you for that. If you want to keep up with Karina's work with Soul Force in naming and healing spiritual violence, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. You can find the link in the show notes and on our website, www.soulforce.org. For our most up-to-date announcements, you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at soulforce.org. Go With Grace is written and produced by me. I want to give a big shout out to our sound designer and editorial advisor for the season, Hideo Takui at A Chili Bowl Production. If you're enjoying the elevated quality of these episodes, that is in large part due to Hideo's talent and support. Thank you so much. The theme song is by me. Additional music by Humans Win, Blue Sky Moon, and One Man Book. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, please rate and review. It really helps new listeners find this podcast, and we'd love to know what you think. You can email me at grace at soulforce.org. We'd love to connect. Until next time, go with grace, my friends. <laughs>